0: Hello and welcome to Value Driven Data Science. I'm your host, Dr Genevieve Hayes, and today I'm joined by guest Tim Davy to talk about the challenges of leading a technical team and transitioning from individual contributor within a technical team to a leadership role. Tim has spent the majority of his career working in the organisational development and HR space, where his work has focused strongly on the development of leaders and working with individuals to understand and maximize their careers. This has included, among other things, providing executive coaching to senior management across a wide range of industries, including media, the performing arts, manufacturing, financial services, transport, education, insurance, legal, and the not-for-profit sector. Yet Tim also has a strong technical background himself, having completed a science degree at the University of Melbourne and starting his working career in the chemical manufacturing sector. So he has first-hand experience with the challenges faced by the members and leaders of technical teams. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Genevieve. Lovely.
1: And thank you for the invitation to be with you.
0: So um, the idea for this episode came out of a conversation that you and I had a number of years back when I was working as the actuarial and analytics manager at the Victorian Managed Insurance Authority. So at the time, I was working as the leader of a technical team and I was working with you in a coaching situation. And one of the things you said to me that really resonated with me at that time was that the two most challenging transitions a person can make in their career are transitioning from the individual contributor role to managing a team and moving from managing a team of individual contributors to being the senior manager or managing managers. And the fact that I still remember this years on from this conversation um, tells you just how much it stuck with me (laughs) and I think this is something that affects people in all professions but I think it's particularly pronounced in technical disciplines like data science so um, I think uh, that this is a topic of potentially of great interest to data scientists who are looking to climb the corporate ladder but also to organisations that employ data professionals, so that they can adequately support them. So I'm very grateful to you for making the time to come onto the podcast to discuss these challenges. Thanks.
1: I, look, I, I remember those. I remember those days well too. I, I I don't know whether I've ever said this to you, but but you were you were one of the more intimidating people that I've worked with from a coaching perspective. I think you were you were I think on our initial meeting, there was a real sense of have you got anything that you can add to me or not? And and so I, I felt that I felt that working with you, I had to be on my game, but but I also really I, I also really enjoyed I, I've always enjoyed the engagement speaking with you and um and I enjoyed that part of the journey of your career, you know, at that at that point when you were with BMIA.
0: Well, I had a great time and I got a lot out of the coaching situation. I remember Uh, when they were first trying to match staff members to coaches and they sent around an email asking, do we have any preferences for our coaches? Um, For example, um, some women might prefer to have a female coach and men might prefer to have a male coach. And I remember sending back the email to the person in HR who was organising it saying, I really do not care about any attributes of this person except for the fact that they have to be able to understand data nerds. And that's how I ended. They it. sent me. They sent you, and and I think um, you definitely met that criteria because you oh, definitely thank you. had a good grasp of what it's like to be working in a technical field, and that's why I think you've got a lot of value to add to this podcast.
1: Thanks. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned at the beginning that I began my working career as a as a technical person, and and, and maybe there's maybe that's that's a little flattering to me. Um, I, I probably joined, I probably expected to start my working career um, more as a technician than I actually did, but, but I transitioned very, very quickly from, um, from a technical background into a more generalist management type of role and I think that probably happened because my skill set was more related to probably translating between technical and commercial issues than and, and people issues than, than being a, a pure technical specialist. I worked with some very, very bright people. Um, and some people who were very, very clever and it became apparent to me very early in my working career that I was not of the technical caliber that they were that there were always people who understood the chemistry better than I did um, but perhaps my skill set was more closely aligned to the ability to um, to bring people together and um, and particularly to to work through to work through um, difficult, challenging issues and get diverse people on the same page so I think I think I, I made a I made it probably made a transition very early in my career but I've always I've always enjoyed the um, yeah, generally the really intelligent conversations that you have with with technical people
0: and and is that uh, why you decided to go into the whole organizational development space
1: I think so. My, my look, my career began working with a with a with a wonderful Swiss chemical company. Um, I was with them for six years in Australia before I had an opportunity to to move um, and work at head office in Basel. and And it was there that I probably really recognised that my skill set was much more about helping get people together and and resolve issues than it was about any sense of technical competence i've i've had to train um i've done quite a lot of technical training in, in in the area of um you know pigment chemistry but but that jokingly I was referred to as Switzerland within Switzerland because my, my role was largely about bringing um bringing people from different countries together I was I was responsible for uh for Latin Europe so ensuring trying to have the, the French work with the Germans and and have the Spaniards work with the work with the the English um and have the Portuguese come to the meetings at all you know so there was this sense that that um, my role there was very much of a, a, a diplomatic type of role. Then when I came back to Australia, the other, thing, the other thing that was challenging was that, you know, I'd had the opportunity from a technical perspective to see really world's best practice, you know, based in, based in the, the sort of hub of the chemical industry in Europe. To come back to Australia, um, certainly at that time, <laughs> there just weren't the same kind of opportunities available you know, in in, in the field, in, in the chemical industry then. So I'd worked in bigger markets. Um, I'd probably been working with, you know, respectfully more sophisticated partners than perhaps existed within the supply chain in Australia. So and recognising that there were people who, who got this stuff technically better than I did and were more interested in it, uh, that was really the point at which I transitioned from, um, you know, sort of... Uh, technical, commercial kind of roles into a much more organizational development type of role. Um, so I came back, started to work for a consulting firm and then moved into moved into a couple of bigger organizations where I held some um, OD responsibility.
0: Okay. So before we get too um, too far into this, um, how about we just get some definitions straight here? So um, I've been using the terms individual contributor, and director, line manager, and senior manager. Uh, how would you define each of those terms?
1: Yeah. So, so sometimes look, they're, they're classic sort of management speak for, for different hierarchical levels within an organization. And, and often people will hear the term individual contributor and maybe wince a little, feeling that that we're that we're speaking a, a, of a fairly lowly role within an organization, but that's not true at all. An individual contributor is functionally somebody whose role is to optimize their own performance. They're they're responsible for for their own work, for managing themselves, for leading themselves, and for delivering generally task based outcomes. Now, most scientists, most scientists are individual contributors. They, they, They are there to the work that they may be doing is maybe very sophisticated. It may be very important, but largely it's work that is um, that is at a daily level self-directed and they are responsible for delivering outputs themselves. Now, I I give sometimes examples to people and say, you know, um, a brain surgeon is also an individual contributor. They're, They're the person performing the operation. A Formula One racing car driver is an individual contributor. They may be the, the highest paid member of the of, of the team, but they're the person responsible for piloting the car around the track. So fundamentally, the individual contributor and most people in organizations, most, you know, at least 50% of the of an organization's population are individual contributors. That's that's they're, they're the people who are who are doing the organization's work day to day. So a, a really important, a really important band of people that are functionally responsible for delivering the organization's outputs. Beyond that, though, certainly in terms of um, a hierarchical setting inside an organization, those individual contributors are generally managed and supervised by somebody. And that's that's one of the most critical roles inside an organization uh, are the first layer of management. The people to whom these individual contributors report to, their their responsibilities are about you know planning and, and and delegating and and coordinating and and managing workflows and and coaching their people and coaxing them and understanding their motivations, such that they are able to provide an environment that brings the best out of their individual contributors. So so again, a, a really a really critical group of people. Beyond that, in 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 most organisational hierarchies, we'll have functional managers or, or senior managers, those who are now responsible for either managing a department or, or or beyond, who are whose key primary responsibilities are not so much about the daily output of the work that is done by their their organisation, but is about setting the direction uh, about setting the organisational settings such that both managers and and their subordinates are able to do the best possible work. Um, They're doing the strategy work. They've got more generally more external um, stakeholder facing interests. Um, They're they're trading off. They are uh, providing the interface between between different departments. So now, obviously, as we we move through an organisation, there are fewer of those people. Um, But but again, they're they're holding holding critical roles, but roles that are fundamentally different to, to the people who are below them within the organisational structure.
0: So why do people struggle so much to make the transition between these different levels?
1: Yeah, because most people get promoted on the basis of the stuff that they're really good at. You know, so so most people get promoted. You know, we often take our, our most competent technical professional and we move them into a, into a managerial role. But the reality is that the skill set required at that managerial role is in many cases 70 or 80 percent different to what they've been doing previously. Very rarely is it the inability to learn a new set of skills that trips people up as they become promoted you know so most people are you know as we move for instance from an individual contributor to a a first line um, leader or or, or manager our focus really moves from our own output and our own daily tasks to it becomes a much more relational people focused role we now hear coaching where we're delegating, where where we have to do more listening than speaking, uh, we have to. Um, we're no longer the person who's going to be responsible for finding the answer necessarily. We've got to create an environment where answers can be found. Now, that's 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 really very fun. That fundamentally is very different work to what people have been doing previously. But we promote them on the basis of what they've done well in the past, and assume that they're simply going to learn this whole new set of skills. Now, most people can learn those new skills. That's 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 not the issue. The great challenge that they have is giving up the things that have made them successful so far. Mm. So, what we sometimes see, um, and and certainly I can I can um, one of my learnings was because I did this when I was first promoted into into a management role, is that. We feel that we've been promoted because we've done something well. So we feel like we've got to be super good at that at the new level and and we can actually go in and create all sorts of damage for the people working under us we can we can try and solve their problems for them we we end up micromanaging the life out of them uh, because we feel as if we've got to be we've got to be the expert and in fact one of the the key things that people transition from individual contributor to first level manager is you've got to give up being the expert you're now leading a group of experts and you're creating an environment for them to be the most fabulous experts that they can be you can't be the person who's just their super expert and and that's that's often certainly at that first that first transitional stage of career development that's the place where most people trip
0: And I think it's particularly pronounced if you're dealing with people like data scientists or data analysts because in making that first step, you're not just giving up the uh, task that you're becoming expert in. You're actually moving away from the tools that you probably enjoyed using.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, And for many people, you know, one of the questions that I would ask of people who are considering that transition is why do you want to do this you know Mm. let's let's really look at what sort of work you want to be doing because if you really love being on the tools Mm. management may not be the place for you Mm. and that's okay and and organize as organizations we have, to, we have to think about how we structure rewarding careers for people who want to remain in the, in the stream of expertise, technical expertise. We've, we, we've got to be able to value that. We've got to find ways that we can enable people to have rich and fulfilling and rewarding careers following that path and not think that the only route to a successful career is, is to climb some kind of lattice or, or, or corporate ladder.
0: I know some organizations have tried to tackle that by creating a technical stream that's separate from the management stream. How well do you see that working?
1: Um, I think in so, so if I if I look back and I think about my time in in you know SIBA, my, my first organization, I think they did that well because, because this was a very mature industry and a very mature space. Um, you know, it was a, it was a, a three hundred year old company when, when I joined, and um, and and chemistry was not an emergent science, and and so I think the career paths were well established, and 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 maybe it's a function of maybe it's a function of of um, Swiss culture. Technical people were deeply valued. Yeah. So, so I could work with I could work with a colleague who was who had no management responsibilities, but was a was a thirty year um, expert in his field, and he was deeply deeply respected and 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 well and well rewarded for the for the work that he did. I think in some of the more emergent sciences that that's that that's probably more problematic. I, I suspect. Um, I know from some of our conversations, Genevieve, mm. um, that that data scientists don't necessarily have that same kind of experience, uh, and I, I suspect that that, at least in part, is because the 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 technical function is not as mature, and is certainly certainly not well understood by other parts of by other parts of the organisation.
0: What I've seen happening in data science is. Firstly, it's very hard for them to find managers, so a lot of data scientists do not want to move away from the tools and refuse to do so. Yep. And so, as a result, often you'll find organisations putting people without technical capabilities in the management roles, uh, and that has mixed results. I'd probably make
1: that. I'd probably just yeah, make a make a point there, Jennifer. That that does certainly um, that happens. Um, I think that one of the things that, you know, what's what's the joke? All generalizations are false, yeah. But <laughs> but but I think I think in general, one of the things that technical people are looking for more than more than many other individual contributors, they they want the people who are managing them to at least have a working appreciation of the type of work that they do yeah yes. now here's, here again is part of the part of the challenge for managing those streams. Even though you your work is no longer technically focused in the same way, you're not delivering technical outputs on the on the mm-hmm. tools, you've still got to have an appreciation for what those people are doing. and, and mm-hmm. I think that if there's not an ability to understand their expertise, um, that, that 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 is often very de- demotivating for most people working in that in that field. So, so there is this challenge that if you bring completely generalist managers in, mm. who who don't understand the um, the challenges and the the expertise that that data scientists are working with, it often won't work well. You've got to be an exceptional an exceptional leader to be able to step into that space. I think without without having, you know, some kind of um, uh, ability to demonstrate your appreciation of the work that that your people are doing at a technical level?
0: I've had a lot of managers throughout my career who have no technical um, training whatsoever, and I find that the ones that succeed best are the ones who actually make an effort to understand the sorts of technical work that I was doing. And one of the best managers I ever had in my entire career was actually a lawyer, and she's now gone on to become a CEO of an organisation. And congratulations to her, she fully deserves it. Whereas I've had other managers who were put into these technical uh, manager roles who also had um, no background and they basically wanted the people under them to tell them how to do their job and weren't actually making any effort on their part to understand what was going on. And those were the ones that I think failed in their ability to manage those technical teams. And
1: I think this is one of the challenges that, you know, most people will have at least at some point in their working life is that we will, you know, we'll we'll have wonderful leaders Mm. and we will have people that we work for that we will hopefully take great lessons from in terms of the sorts of leaders we don't want to be.
0: Oh yeah, I've learned just as much from the bad bosses as I have from the good bosses. Because the good bosses, you try and copy them, and the bad bosses, you do exactly the opposite.
1: Yeah, and in fact, you know, there's there's sort of um, leadership research that says you know um, the, the, the greatest leaders among us, however you do, however you want to define or quantify that. One of the the defining features is not that they have had brilliant leadership model to them, but Mm. that they've had some sort of really lousy experience that they've reflected on and learned from.
0: Fair enough. So with the transition from um, going from a technical uh, individual contributor to going to a management role, um, I would think that people who are going through that successfully do so, um, they'd almost have to be a grieving process.
1: Yeah, the change the change process. So the change process does very much, you know, mirror the the, the grieving process. Uh, it is really genuinely hard, and, and and it's hard for a couple of reasons. One is that when we go into, you know. It's hard. It's hard to let go of the things that you've been really good at, particularly when you feel like you're under stress in a new role. You know, when, and, and particularly if you're in an environment where you feel like you might be struggling to pick up some of those new softer skills. You know, if you, if you've not really mastered the art of coaching or, 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 or um, difficult negotiating conversations, if then 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 one of the things that you will be naturally likely to draw back to is the stuff that you've done well. And the stuff that you've done well is the technical work. Mm -hmm. So what we often see is people, you know, particularly under stress, wanting to prove themselves in a new role, wanting to feeling like they should draw back to what the things that made them successful in, in, in the past. And that that then becomes a little bit of a you know, self perpetuating cycle. You know, uh, so there's there's a grieving process. There's a um, there's a process of retreating back to what they've done well because learning new stuff is tough. And if was- you've been really successful at something, stepping into a space where you might feel a little bit out of your depth, that can be really challenging.
0: I read an article recently that really helped put all of this in perspective for me, and it was likening being a manager to being the conductor of an orchestra and being a team member to being one of the musicians in an orchestra. And what really helped me was um, the article pointed out that a conductor needs to understand the instruments that the musicians are playing, and the conductor probably comes from the background of being a musician, So he or she is probably an expert in one or more instruments. But the conductor can't just go in and say, I'm a really good violinist, so I'm just going to play the violin and show up everyone in the orchestra because that's not the conductor's job. Um, The conductor's job is a whole distinct skill set, which is getting that orchestra to work well together and sound good as a team. And if the conductor just says to everyone, go play music, then the conductor's going to fail and it's going to sound terrible.
1: It's it's a great analogy. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a fabulous analogy. Um one of the one of the analogy it's that's that's a that's a great one. One of the, one of the ones I sometimes use too is is, you know, um, uh, it may and be from a from a sporting perspective where you know we have coaches and we have captains of teams mm. Mm. and one, one of the great challenges one of the great challenges as people step into that first layer of 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 management is understanding when they've got to step back and be the coach and when they have to actually step in and play with the team you know right. when they when they need to be the captain and 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 again there's that you know um it, one of the other that one challenge that does exist for most people. We, we've been talking about this idea of movement from uh, individual contributor to, to 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 manager, as though it is um, a completely black and white transition. Mm. And and you know there are a lot of changes that happen, but there's also a little bit of grey that you've got to manage there as well. You know, mm. and um, and and how do you how do you do and step into that space appropriately? again can be can be can be quite can be quite challenging for people you know um there might be moments where your expertise actually is required Mm -hmm. but you've got to be careful not to overplay it you know got to remember that your role is still here to conduct and to coach not not just to step in and and um and kick the ball whenever you see it
0: yeah and that would kind of be a bit embarrassing if the coach ran on grabbed the ball and started kicking goals
1: yeah, I know. But haven't we haven't we all been a part seen it happen in inside organizational life?
0: Oh yeah, totally. And so we've mostly been talking about the transition from individual contributor to direct manager. Mm. What's challenging about the next step up going from direct manager to senior manager?
1: So I think I think as you move into senior management, the, the responsibility becomes much more about setting and maintaining direction. The, the time horizons that you're working with are, are generally much longer. You've got the responsibility of um, balancing strategic versus short-term um, opportunities. Um, you've got to manage sideways, yeah? And, and, and sometimes it's that sideways management where you're now interfacing um, more regularly and with um, more consequence with with other departmental areas and, and and other senior managers, and so that capacity to um, be able to take off your your functional expertise hat and see things through the lens of another of another departmental area, whether that's you know you know seeing you know for a data scientist seeing things through the eyes of sales or through operations, you know that's tough yeah especially if you've spent if you've spent 10 years being a being a master in your in your in your domain so it's that that sense and then then understanding then understanding the the rules and the engagement and the way other people at that level will play because so much of your success is going to be your capacity to um, to navigate across the organization um that's that again is that that again becomes that again becomes really challenging
0: and i think a lot of technical people in particular data scientists don't want to look at things from the point of view of say for example sales or marketing or comms because they really really love the data science and technical work
1: yeah totally and and, and you know the other piece there too is that i think technical people um and I would think that data scientists fall into this category, you know, a wide a wide-defined problems, a mm. wide-defined how things are wrong, you know, and yes. and and to and to um uh and to be very discreet in terms of being able to, to, to describe those things. That's not always the way that other functional areas work. And mm. um and 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 that can be so so establishing your credibility that you're not just some sort of um, crazy black hat negative person <laughs> um, finding ways that you can contribute to the the, the broader conversation about mm. the business not just about your area of functional expertise understanding how your area can translate uh, into into other, um, support other departmental areas, mm. but also understanding what their challenges are. That's that's that that, that that's kind of tough.
0: Mm. One of the challenges that a lot of organisations often face is they're recruiting for a senior a senior manager or a direct manager of a data functionality, and they've got the choice between someone who's strong technically but has little or no management experience. Versus someone who's weak technically with stronger management experience. Obviously, they're going to have to choose someone who's weak in one discipline. Which of those skill sets is easier for them to build up in the job?
1: Oh gosh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know that I can answer. I, I, I don't know that I can answer that, Genevieve. Um, I think I've seen. I've seen technical people um with the right with the right willingness and humility learn the people stuff and be fabulous yeah um really have um i've seen really good people leaders um be able to take you know um who just understand who, who understand the, the the motives and the needs of of people in technical fields and 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 lead those things well, and I've and I've seen both I've seen both examples crash and burn. I, I think one of the things that does become really critical is what's the support that those people who are transitioning into that role what what are they given and that's that in effect is becomes a critical part for the, the manager one layer up from them.
0: So, how do you best support someone in those situations?
1: Yeah, I, I think I think the first the first point is really um, having an honest uh, awareness and understanding of where the of, of where the weaknesses might be, or where the, where the gaps may be. Um, the capacity to um, identify identify those. The individual has to have a willingness to overcome those gaps. But then I think there's an, a, a really important um, coaching role that that the that their that their own manager has, in terms of equipping and building and guiding um, that that new manager in, in their new space. It's one of the things. It's one of the tasks of management at any level that is really, um, really, uh, I think, not given enough emphasis. And that is about preparing um preparing leaders as they make the step into a, into a new role so you know if you're if you're a general manager and you've got somebody stepping into functional leadership you know you've got a, you've got a responsibility as a GM to to coach guide and grow that person into into their new role and I don't think that there's enough emphasis placed on that for for managers to understand their responsibility to to grow guide and develop the people underneath them um, you can have you, you can't outsource that work to HR. You can have fabulous external project uh, programs and, and 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 learning opportunities, but at the end, it's the person's manager who's going to be the most influential um, input into whether a person transitioning into a, a new level of management is going to succeed or not.
0: And I think it's that um, manager of the manager giving their staff member permission to fail initially because they are going to stuff up and I think one of the things that holds people back from developing their weaker skill set be it technical or management is that they're scared to admit hey there's something that I'm not very good at and I need help with because I think they're scared of losing their job.
1: Yeah I think you're absolutely right yeah yeah I think you're dead dead right. I think you know one of the things i would talk to a manager who was having somebody transition underneath them would be to say be what 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 are you from a risk management perspective what are the what are the what are the boundaries that you're going to put around this person to enable them to to fail safely yep mm-hmm. you don't want them to fail so badly that they blow the joint up yep mm-hmm. but you've got to give them the opportunity to learn as well so, so what are the, what are those settings going to be? You know, I think that's again a really, um, I think a real something I would coach. You know, a, a manager um, who's leading somebody into transitions. What are those? What are those boundaries? What are, what are the guardrails that you're going to set around this person? But, but I think you're absolutely right. People have to be allowed to fail. Mm.
0: Now, probably the biggest thing that's happened to workplaces in the last five to ten years, or possibly ever, is COVID. Yeah. And the increase in the number of people working from home. Uh, a lot of what you've said is um, highlights the importance of uh, senior people training their more junior staff members. Do you think that this is going to become more challenging due to the increase in remote working?
1: Yeah, I do. I do. I think I think what we saw, when people first transitioned to remote working uh, very, very quickly, you know, because there are a lot of organisations that were, were very conservative around the idea that everybody was in the office five days a week and, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden that just changed in a, you know, changed overnight, didn't it, for mm-hmm. us? Now, I think some organisations were, were very effective at um, being very deliberate in, in keeping contact with their, with their people and, mm. and they were quite successful. That I think, in some instances, that that ran out of steam. Mm. Yeah, I think that yeah. was really hard to maintain. And mm. and I think it, you know, it it showed for, it showed for a lot of senior leaders that, um, how uncomfortable they were just doing the one-on-one people work. Mm. you often I'd often say, you know, if you're in, if you're a senior management role, fifty percent of your day is simply going to be being with your people. Finding out what's going on for them. Um, coaching them through issues, uh, clarifying expectations. That that's got to be 50% of what you do. And 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 people nod at you and say, Yeah, 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 sure. And then I ask them to, to give me a bit of a, a map of how they spend their working week and and 10 or 15% at tops are spent doing that. You know. Mm. Now, I think um, what COVID demonstrated is that you can be very deliberate and, and you can do that. But I think there was a bit of energy kind of got lost. Mm. I think it's, it's tougher working remotely to, um, to bring people together, you know, so you can do the one-on-one stuff. Okay. But it's much more challenging if you're, if you're managing a team and you're trying to, you're trying to help facilitate a team environment, it's much tougher to do that, to do that remotely. Um, so, um you know some some highly directive managers who who like to manage individuals as completely as individuals. It works okay for them, but for those who have a responsibility to actually drive outputs through a team and have their have their individual um, contributors collaborating, man, that becomes much tougher to do. I think it becomes harder for individuals as well because although it's comfortable um, working remotely, particularly if we're doing technical work, it can be very mm. convenient. There is still critical um, social work that goes on without us even knowing where, we, mm. where we're just interfacing, where we're building trust, uh, where we're doing all those sorts of things. And, and that's tougher to do in, in mm. COVID. One of the experiences that that certainly I had during uh, during the last couple of years and that I know many other people have had was I found it relatively easy to recruit people for roles during that time I found it really really hard to induct and onboard them you know so the the process of of I could I could I could find an individual to fill the role
0: hmm.
1: actually onboarding them into the team man that was that was that was on that was nigh on impossible you know they they just operated as individual silos and um yeah so I think I think I I'm encouraging people not to discount the importance of that sort of face-to-face social work that we do. Uh, technical people particularly uh, might poo-hoo that a little bit and, <laughs> and 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 think of themselves as, you know, um, little islands who who contribute. Mm. But the reality is that there's that there is critical work that happens that we, where we have to interface with one another. And that's tougher to do in a remote setting and much harder to lead.
0: One of the things that I can imagine happening in the future is uh, the people who show up in the office and work alongside others are probably going to be at an advantage when it comes to applying for promotions. Yeah,
1: totally. I, I, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's a, an astute observation. I, um, I would be encouraging people from their own career development perspective to, to, be, to be physically present. You know, not not all the time. You know, but but certainly certainly don't discount that. Don't simply think that your that your work outputs will be the only the only consideration for for your career development and promotional opportunities.
0: Mm. And suppose you have someone who really does have a very compelling reason for having to work predominantly from home. How can they overcome the obstacles to Um, communicating that the distance creates
1: so I think I think in those circumstances people have to be they have to really take charge um, of their own direction and be very and be very diligent in terms of um, of 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 how they um, purposefully and formally um, continue continue contact it's it's too easy especially i think if you're a little bit more introverted and, and i suspect you mm-hmm. know perhaps perhaps more data scientists would 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 map more on the side of introversion than, than extroversion i think that's uh, yeah. i think that's probably not not um, unreasonable to suggest mm-hmm. so so there is a sense in which it might be more comfortable to retreat a little bit back into your own space i think uh, maintaining ma- maintaining and managing your profile if you're going to work you know totally remotely um, you've got to find deliberate ways to, to 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 be involved.
0: So, one of the pieces of advice you once gave me was um, for my own business: reach out to um, a target of five people per week. Perhaps that's something that people could do within their organisations: reach out to five people within their organisation for Zoom calls, for example.
1: Yeah, look, I, I think I think you know maybe maybe that's maybe that's more than is necessary. If somebody's um, just you know in in for in for internal visibility and mobility as opposed to as opposed to building um, your business and doing business development activity, but I think uh, you know one of the things that I've always said to um, to people, certainly senior people, when they've when they've landed when they've landed new roles, I'll say to them, put aside five percent of your week every single week for networking. Yeah, that's only. Totally on a 40 hour week that's only that's only two hours a week yeah but it's two hours of purposeful conversation meeting um sharing of sharing of ideas extending your reach both inside and outside of your organization and i would i would think that something like that you know if if, if you somebody is um wanting to maintain their internal mobility and and presence that if you've set aside two hours a week for you know for 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 purposeful Zoom catch-up, for for network, for for deliberate sharing of ideas. You know, that's only only four meetings of of half an hour. And and the reality is that, that we find people are very open to the idea of giving up 30 minutes of their time for an intelligent conversation with somebody from another area.
0: One of the things I found in some of my previous jobs, I used to take my cheese sandwich to work and toast it in the um, to sandwich toaster in the lunchroom. And it took about five minutes for it to toast. So every day I would spend five to 10 minutes standing in the lunchroom waiting for my sandwich to toast. Yeah. And every day there was usually someone who came into the lunchroom to do make themselves a cup of coffee or do whatever during that time. And I'd have a conversation with them. And after doing that for, well, four years in one job, five years in another, I found I'd met all these people who I would never have had conversations with otherwise and became um, quite good friends with a lot of them just from standing at a sandwich toaster.
1: And I think absolutely. So, so if you that those those sorts of things for gold, if we think about a career trajectory, okay, and we, we talk about those challenges of, of moving into senior management, which become about the ability to understand and to empathize and to know what the challenges that other departments are facing. If you haven't done that work along the way, if you if you just haven't had those incidental conversations, if you if you don't know what matters to sales, if you don't know what matters to operations or, or to communications or to other areas, if, if you don't know what those people look like like or what they get for lunch it's mm. going to be very hard 10 years from now to suddenly be able to transition into a space where you can you can make those people your your peers and you can you can um collaborate with them without without friction so that that sense of what you're doing there in in the in lunchroom it, it's it is the basic preparatory work for, for for future for future career growth and shouldn't be underestimated
0: okay so Let's take a person who's currently operating as an um, individual contributor in a data science team, so a data scientist. What advice would you give that person for making that first transition to the manager of that data science team? I,
1: I think the first thing is that they have to really understand what the new role would look like and is that the route that they want to go down. And I think that's a, that's a really important thing, you know, it's... um. Um, don't chase the role simply because it looks like it might have seemingly more um more external extrinsic rewards associated with it, you know, whether that's um whether that's status of title or 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 the perception that it might that it might pay bad. Understand what it is that you want to step into first. I, 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 that would be my my first thing. Understand what is required at at that level. Then I think it's really for people. Um, you know, we take a, a you know a, a data scientist there who's thinking about that, that and they make a decision to say, "Yes, I I actually want to move into I want to move into the management stream." The next part is to understand that they're going to be responsible for driving most of the activity towards that. That you can't expect that. Um, the organization is going to shepherd you or or tap you on the shoulder or or provide a clear and present pathway for you to to reach those goals. You do have to drive these things a little bit yourself. But the way that you can helpfully drive that is by understanding, okay, um, I I, I recognize that if I want to move from being, um, you know, um, a data scientist into into managing a group of data scientists, I'm going to have to learn a new set of skills. I'm going to have to demonstrate that I've got coaching capacity. I've, I've got to be able to delegate. Um, I've got to have the ability to understand and work with different personality styles, and start putting yourself through or up for those sorts of opportunities that exist within your organisation. And if they don't exist within your organisation, seek them outside. You know, it, it's um, there's 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 learning that can be done simply by. I mean. You know, for all its um, uh, strengths and weaknesses, and, and and the cliches associated with it, you know there are there are Harvard Business Review articles, there are there are TED talks, there are there are podcasts, there are you know um, there there are all sorts of ways that you can that you can learn and, and demonstrate that you've got that you've got um, an appetite for, for for that kind of direction. So I, the first step I would say is. Um, be clear that that's where you want to go, and do it with do it with clear and open eyes. Uh, the second thing is to recognise what will be the gaps and the skills that you need to develop, and start looking for ways to um, to, to 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 close those to close those gaps. A friend of mine who who does a, a lot of coaching um, with uh, with execs said to me i think it was a year ago and and i'll butcher the numbers but he said you know most people most people make their um their transition into management in make their first transition to management in their 30s and they do their first leadership training in their 40s he said we've got a problem here haven't we you know organizationally we're not we're not good at preparing people for that so i think that for people to transition successfully you've got to understand that you've got to you've got to take some control don't don't expect someone to do it for you Um, be prepared to be prepared to set your direction and, and and drive your drive your career
0: and suppose this data scientist we're talking about decides that management isn't for him or her how do they have a fulfilling career while remaining in that technical stream
1: I guess it, it's understanding what does bring them fulfillment. You know, is, is the fulfillment from working on really complex technical projects. And and if so, if so, um, it might be simply to, to to move back into those. Um it might be it might be to move back into them, but with some, you know, with some quasi-leadership, you know, r- responsibilities and oversights, you know, it, mm. perhaps as 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 the senior individual. If I if I think again, perhaps to you know um, to some of the more um, mature sciences, you know, go back to go back to the, the chemistry route, you know, I I do know people who who move from um, you know being on the bench and they were, they were great at what they did and 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 they've moved it they moved into the, to, to management spheres and ultimately didn't love it. But then, actually, that that experience was really, really valuable for them. They moved back into um, into other technical roles that sometimes had, uh, you know, other moving parts where they were responsible for liaising with with uh, with different stakeholders, external stakeholders. You know, so I, I think of a guy who I worked with who, and held quite senior management roles, but didn't want that later in his career, and 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 moved back into moved back into a, a sort of a um, functional expert and advisor kind of role, you know, advising advising both commercial and technical interests inside the company, dealing with critical external stakeholders, you know. Um, so thinking that careers simply need to be one direction, you know, mm. and that, that direction is up, I, I, I don't think that needs to be the case at all. For people to understand what brings them fulfilment is 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 and motivation is really really critical in in my view, um, and and recognizing that those things will change over time. One of the areas, Genevieve, I know this is not 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 um, not about data science, but one of the areas we see this often. For example, is in the in the area of the law. You know, we see people we see people graduate and join law firms and and become specialists in, in areas, and 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 you know, so they might become a a tax or a commercial, you know, um, specialist, and 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 so they build up a group of clients that they serve really really well, and then they get because of this, they kind of get promoted into the role of of partner, and 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 essentially they 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 then become as senior partners. Not they're not really doing any law anymore. They they're now just managing a group of clients, and, and and they'll feedback and they'll say, I didn't get in the law to be a salesman. I got in the mm-hmm. law to 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 you know to 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 because I I love the nitty gritty of grinding this stuff out. And and so we often see this 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 transition back that they they might move to you know, set up their own practice or, or or they do become a a technical specialist somewhere, but it's, it's a, look, it's a really big decision because very often it comes with a financial penalty, you know, giving Mm. up their, giving up their, um, their share interest in the, in the partnership. But, but that's a journey that lots of, you know, lots of professionals in in that sort of sphere make. And And I don't think it's, I don't think it's dissimilar to, to the sort of trajectories that that scientists and data scientists can make.
0: I agree with that. And on that point, uh, we're getting very close to closing time. So I have my few final questions that I'm going to ask everyone who appears on this podcast. Yeah. So is there anything on your radar in the AI data and analytics space that you think is going to become important in the next five to, um, five to ten years?
1: So... I think I would say that everything that I know about AI and data analytics could probably could easily be um, documented on on a post-it note, and 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 the reality is I don't think I don't think as uh, I don't think that I'm unusual in that sense at all. I think I think AI and data analytics is is a bit of a um, a black hole in the in the understanding of of most of most generalist managers inside organisations. It's probably a scary space, I think, for a lot of execs that just don't understand it. Um, there's some hype around it and there's, there are people, respectfully, I think, you know, there are there are um, snake oil salesmen out there promising the world, you know, um, and I think like many people, um, like, like, like many execs or, or, or managers, I just don't know enough. I don't know what I don't know. I do think I'll give you an example of, um, of, of where I've seen, you know, sort of um, in my own experience, data used really well. Um, I was, I was um, a manager, senior manager in a, in a um, small charity, not a small charity, actually, a sort of a medium sized charity. And, um, and I would say like most organizations with data rich and information poor, and we don't know the questions, didn't know the questions to ask, I had a small department that was um, operating away, and all the business rationale suggested to me that I should be closing that department down. I had a, a volunteer who had a data background, um, who was brought to my attention, wanted to be doing something far more, more interesting than just data entry. He had some analytical skills, and I gave him a project to to run an analysis on on the department that I was looking at to close down, with a view that I would have an ironclad um reasoning for why I was going to shut this department down and, and essentially, you know, um, uh, cease those cease those activities for the organization. It took about three months. He did a, he did a fabulous piece of work for us. But he was actually able to demonstrate that the little department that was operating there that was not really making very much money and was taking quite a bit of management time to oversee, was actually the most effective way that we had of engaging people in our charitable activities. That was it was against all the logic of, of, of fundraising, um, you know, theory. Uh, but he was able to build a he was able to build a, um, a, a very compelling data picture for us of of the way in which people who engaged with us through that mechanism. Became engaged donors and um, and supporters of the organisation. So instead of so, the with with the analysis that he had done, um, far from closing that department down, we invested in it, invested in it really strongly, and it became it became the growth platform for for that organisation. I give that example because this is this is a small smallish resource poor organization that one piece of good quality insight was able to set its strategic trajectory. And it's the last organization in the world that you would think that would have a need for for data analytics. So I guess my thinking is that there is going to be increasing need for for this professional skill set maybe in some of the most unlikely places, uh, but I see, it as, I see it as an area of, 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 of real growth and opportunity. But I do think it's going to take um, really good people who are able to translate the, uh, the value that, that AI and data analytics can bring to, to organizations who just don't understand what it's all about.
0: And that's a good segue into the second question. Uh, what final advice would you give to organisations looking to maximise the value of their data?
1: Yeah, I think I think you've got to find good people to work with. As I said, I think sadly, I think there are some snake oil merchants out there who are selling AI and data analytics as the answer to everything when they don't know what the problem like, they don't know what the problem is in the first instance, but. But I would be I would be encouraging organisations to um, to explore it, um, to be a little brave, to be sensible but a little brave. I think I think as as I think as senior leaders in organisations, you know, you, you're paid for your judgment and your wisdom, mm-hmm. and and understanding that. Um, that these areas of expertise are growing and have got value to contribute to organisations is really important, but also knowing who to work with and partner with in those exercises is also is also really really critical. So, um, understanding it and finding people that you can trust would be would be my would be my um, don't disc- don't discount it as being too hard, um, but find people that you can trust, and and I think from the and and if you want, and if you're a data scientist looking to partner with those sorts of organisations, I think equally, understanding what their challenges are, understanding what right size solutions look like for them, you know, that's 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 also a critical critical piece because they, they many organisations are are just struggling to keep up with the day to day. You know, um, you might have all the solutions for them, but they may not be able to process them all.
0: And that's very interesting because I've actually been working on a guide at the moment to help organisations identify business problems that are suitable for solving using data science, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes to this episode.
1: Yeah, and, and look, I, I guess my feedback, Genevieve, but look, we know one another, and, and I actually know you do that stuff well. Yeah, Thank I you. mean, there's there's a there's a natural curiosity towards what others are doing that that serves you well in that space, and. And I think where there is that that curiosity to understand what's and that empathy to, to understand what's happening in other people's worlds, you've got you've got the opportunity to, to serve it to serve a
0: real need. Thank you. So um, this has been fantastic having you here today, Tim. Uh, for listeners who want to learn more about you or um, get in contact, how can they do that?
1: Uh, look, I, I think that I think the simplest way is um, please. Um, drop me a look me up on linkedin i'm 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 there with it a, with a, i keep a low profile on linkedin but i am present and 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 i'm a person who enjoys connecting with people and and particularly knowing and meeting bright people along the way so very very happy to connect with anybody who'd like to look me up by that route
0: and i'll put a link to your linkedin page on the show notes
1: thanks thanks genevieve
0: okay uh, thank you for joining me today a hey, real pleasure And for those in the audience who are interested, I actually offer one-on-one mentoring for new and aspiring data and analytics leaders through Genevieve Hayes Consulting. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to find out more. Thank you to our listeners for joining us today. I'm Dr. Genevieve Hayes, and I hope you join me again next time for Value Driven Data Science.